This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR. R-A-Z-O-R. Hello, hockey fans. I'm Paul Bruno here with Andrew Fiorentino, and we are the Great Ones. Today is January 7, 2016, a brand new year for us and for all of our faithful listeners. Andrew, I hope you had a great holiday. I sure did. But uh, we have to bring, begin the show, in my opinion, with talk of uh, three transactions that make this look like we're already heading, leaning on the trade deadline. What do you think about what went on yesterday? This is crazy. Yeah, a wild day in the NHL trade world, and we got to start with the blockbuster. Ryan Johansson from the Blue Jackets to Nashville for Seth Jones, 21-year-old defenseman, number four pick in 2013. That's a crazy trade for me. Uh and and I have to say, do you feel like the the Jackets really got full value for Johansson? Not to take anything away from Seth Jones, but if you want to say that you know Ryan Johansson is an established NHL player, a guy who put up more than sixty points last year, Seth Jones has great potential, but but hasn't done anything yet. I would think that if you're Columbus, you want to get a a little extra piece on top there when you're trading a guy like Johansson. You know what, Andrew? I think your assessment is right in line with mine. I've been hearing all kinds of stories today assessing this trade as kind of an even Steven deal, but I kind of lean in the same direction as you. Ryan Johansson is that type of center that every team looks for. Big size, skill, a 30-goal scorer. This guy could be a point-per-game guy, but definitely looks like he fits the profile of a first-line center already in his young career. And uh, on the other side, I'm not going to sell Seth Jones short. He was in line to be the number one pick in his draft overall, but he sunk to about fourth when Nashville picked him. And that's been a defenseman factory out there in in Tennessee. They've got a number of players uh, on the blue line that are are 
of frontline quality. So that's why they could afford to get rid of Jones in this deal. And, and uh, make no mistake, he's a great player and maybe has a high upside too. We just haven't seen, I think, uh, the high end of, of his potential. I don't think he's been a second and third pairing guy in Nashville. He'll be moved to a first pairing role in Columbus. And we'll see if he does uh, fill in that, that role that they need there desperately, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I just, it's it's a great move when you look at Nashville. Uh, that number one center that that they've been missing has has really held back their offense, and uh, is a big reason that you know Pecorini still doesn't have a Stanley Cup ring. Uh, bringing Johansson in there should really give them some much needed depth on offense. I think he's going to come out red hot uh, right from the gate with Nashville. And and to give perspective of what you're saying, look at the guys that they're they're trotting out at center. Mike Rivero, one of the finest passers in hockey through much of the last several years, but his career's in uh, in the waning stages. Paul Gostad, a big lumbering defensive forward type. Cody Hodgson, a failed offensive center in Buffalo, and trying to get a second wind in his career. Callie Yarncroft is a guy who they for they were forced to play a top six minutes, but he's not that guy at all. So everybody yeah, Mike Fisher, another guy who uh, yeah. kind of surprisingly productive last year, but has regressed as expected this year. Every one of these guys is going to move down one on the depth chart, and that should make them better. But it certainly it certainly puts pressure on Johansson, who had a bit of a feud, I think, with John Tortorella in uh, in Columbus that kind of greased the the skids on on this deal. In my opinion, we're not hearing too much about that aspect. But certainly, I, I think Columbus had a bit of, the, of a gun to their head to make this deal. And, you know, they did the best they could. I think uh, they were in a hurry to make this happen. Yeah, you know, they were, they're saying that it had nothing to do with Tortorella. It had nothing to do with Tortorella. That's in all the media today. But, I mean, it has to come down to that, right? It's Tortorella who came in and benched him. And it's, it's Tortorella who's still in Columbus rather than Johansson. You know, they, sh- they shipped uh, the player, not the coach, off. So that suggests to me a, a long-term, or at least a longer-term commitment to Tortorella in Columbus, which, uh, do you think that's a good thing? Are you on board with that? No. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're wanting me to say that because you're going to slam him because of the Ranger ties and so on that he broke. And uh, I, I just think uh, Tortorella needs to be a good soldier as a coach for a little while, and the club's showing a lot of faith in him to kind of help that process along, but... They may rue this trade if Johansson turns into that first-line center that both you and I think that he can be in a situation that just cried out for that need in Nashville. It might be the missing piece for this team to go on now at a very extended playoff run, and won't that look good on on, on uh, the Nashville side of this deal when it's all said and done? Yeah, you look at the uh, Jackets now. They're in, they're in full-on rebuild mode uh, without you know Johansson on that, on that roster. Uh, it's, it's a very different-looking lineup. Well, uh, if the odds uh, continue to go in their favor at the end of the year at the draft, they're going to fill that spot eventually with Austin Matthews because they're the worst team in the league right now, and he's the big prize out there. we got to look at him at the World Junior Hockey Championships, and he didn't disappoint me. I don't know what you thought about it or if you saw the games, but uh, to me it was him and a bunch of European forwards that that stood out. Matthew Chuchuk, another American guy who who looked pretty good as well, will fill out the top five. Oddly enough, they're... And a quick segue, uh, Andrew, it looks to me like no Canadian uh, prospect uh, at the junior level is rated any higher than sixth overall. And that's something that we haven't seen in 25 years when looking at uh, future prospects in the NHL. That's Brown. pretty wild. Uh, I really like the the Finnish kid, uh, 
Jesse uh, pulls Jarvi. I'm a yeah. little uh, a little weak on the pronunciation of those yeah, double J names. Fine. You did fine. I wouldn't try it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he'll be a prize as well for whatever team misses out uh, and is unlucky uh, to miss out on Austin Matthews. But uh, let's let's jump over to another deal because uh, that wasn't the only action of the day. We had another movement between the Flyers and the Kings, two teams that seem to like to send players to one another. Luke Shen split away from his brother Braden, sent along with the simply awful at this point, Vinny LeCavalier, to Los Angeles for Jordan Wheels, uh, for those of you who don't know, a very fine forward prospect and a third-round draft pick. And if you ask me, I look at this deal, and I tweeted this today, uh, I think that the Kings got fleeced here. They got nothing. For Jordan Wheel is a, a kid who has put up 139 points in the last two years in the AHL. This isn't just some, you know, like uh, AHL scrub that they threw in. This is a 23-year-old kid with a ton of upside, a kid who scored 100 points in juniors twice. And they sent him for a washed-up Vinny LeCavalier and Luke Shen, who can barely make it onto the ice for the Flyers. You know That's what? Let awful. me let me go off a little bit on the the professional end of the players in question here. Luke Shen and Vinny LeCavalier. Luke Shen was traded for James Van Riemsdyk. I think Flyer fans and Flyer executive office is trying to forget that deal ever happened. And this is one way of doing it by shipping the slew-footed Shen right out of town. And Vinny LeCavalier who has won at the buyout window twice already in his career, uh, is a guy that is hoping to get uh, some ice time uh, as a fourth liner in Los Angeles and maybe get his name on the Stanley Cup again as a fringe player. But believe me, there's not much left in those legs either. He, he couldn't crack the lineup uh, for regular ice time at all in Philadelphia. What makes anybody think he's going to do it in Los Angeles is beyond me. Well, that's so, what I'm saying. Uh, you know, yeah. you've got these guys who, you know, I live in Philadelphia. I, 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 as much as anyone talks about the Flyers these days, which they don't because they're embarrassed, uh, <laughs> uh, they they hate Luke Shen. They hate Vinny LeCavalier. They're they're awful. And the fact that the Kings gave up uh, not just a, a top prospect, but they threw in a decent draft pick on top is it's just wild to me. It's 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 hard to believe, and I don't and- know what the Kings are thinking with this kind of move. And, you know, LeCavalier has gone on record as saying, you know, he's going to retire at the end of this year. But if he has a change of heart, he's going to be on the L.A. books for two more years. If he just says, you know what, I've enjoyed this ride, even though I was a fringe player, I think I'll stick around. If he has that change of heart, won't the Kings uh, front office be browned off big time, Andrew? This could be a real disaster for them. Yeah, the, the Kings, uh, they're, they're taking some, some big risks here. And and giving away a ton of upside for I mean how can, where do you see a ton of upside here Luke Shen can't score can't really defend he, he's a tough defenseman he's a big guy uh, he adds some size to that Kings blue line but he's not an asset you know, he can't skate he can't he can't skate in he the same skate. pace I agree that that the modern NHL is is uh, running uh, on the high octane it seems every night this year more than ever and uh, he's a slew footed guy and uh, hanging on by a thread in Philadelphia as a third-line defenseman for the past year. So um, maybe he's... body, basically. Yeah, maybe he's injury uh, uh, insurance, I guess, should they, L.A. encounter some tough times in the playoffs. But I don't expect to see much of either of these guys when the postseason comes. Uh, maybe they'll get some work down, down the stretch to rest some of their regulars if they uh, continue to run away with the Pacific Division as they are. Yeah, so, but, uh, but meanwhile, uh, you've, got, you've got Wheel on the other end. 
And that's a really interesting thing. We'll see where he slots in on that Flyers depth chart. He's been sitting out. He's only played 10 games this year for the Kings. Uh, no games in the NHL, not because he's been unhealthy, but because they've, they've mostly just had him sitting in the press box. Now he goes to a team where they should have the ice time for him. Uh, you know, down the middle, the the Flyers not extremely strong at center. Uh, Couturier still a disappointment. Uh, Pierre Mark, or sorry, Pierre Edouard Billamar uh, is no good. Lawton has has not done a whole lot. <laughs> so they've got room there at center for Jordan Wheel to step into that lineup and maybe rise as far as the second line ultimately uh, this season. Uh, we'll see well, where where he ends up reporting. I haven't seen whether he's going to report to the uh, to the AHL level or if he's going to stick with the Flyers. And well, the Flyers have to hope maybe that he turns into a young Mike Richards. And that brings us to the third transaction of the three yesterday. How's that for a brilliant segue? <laughs> uh, Mike Richards got his uh, case overturned in in the court of law, and uh, he immediately signs on with the Washington Capitals. Again, this looks like an insurance move, a depth move on their roster. The Caps are looking forward to a long playoff run. They seem to be the class of the Eastern Conference right now. And uh, if Richards can uh, turn back the clock and uh, fit in with a guy like uh, Justin Williams, who knows him very well from their time together earlier in their career, I'm sure Williams was, in fact, an advocate for the picking up Richards uh, by Washington. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he... Uh, returns to the ice, What, which version are we going to get? The 1.0 version that started his career and was a key factor in Philadelphia, or the 2.0 guy who was kind of a fringe part of the Los Angeles Kings, or even a uh, version 3.0 guy, a guy with nothing left in the tank. If you had to check, if you had to check one of those boxes, Andrew, where would you go? I think uh, we're going uh, somewhere in the direction of 2.0, because you look at down this Capitals team, and yeah, they signed Richards, but they don't strictly need him, right? They've got Backstrom, Kuznetsov, Johansson down the middle. So Richard is going to slot in on that fourth line. And that fourth line role playing in nine or ten minutes a night, that's a place where he might, you know, once in a while give you a spark, you know, an unexpected spark from a depth line. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, the the best you can ask for from Mike Richards at this stage of his career. Uh, like LeCavalier, he aged uh, too soon, partied too hard perhaps uh, back in the, in the old Philadelphia days when uh, he and Jeff Carter used to tear up the town. Uh, I wonder if you ran into them at, at all uh, when you were... I didn't, but I know a lot of people, a lot of people who did. <laughs> well, we don't want to get either one in trouble, so no pictures, please. <laughs> uh, we've reached the unofficial halfway mark in the season, Andrew, and uh, a couple of weeks ago I wrote a column for uh, wrote a wire, wire called From the Press Box, and it was the studs and duds version of uh, basically looking at the first half and saying which players have overperformed and which ones have underperformed. I highlighted one guy from each team in that column, and I want to pick away at some of them with you and get your impressions, whether you agree or disagree. I'll begin just off the top of uh, my, uh, my column. I'll say Ryan Getzlaff has to be one of the bigger disappointments on the year. I think he's sitting at four goals and 20 assists right now uh, as the first-line center in Anaheim, a team that a lot of pundits, myself included, thought would be a contender for the, the top spot in the Pacific Division. Yeah, Getzlaff uh, struggling. It looked like he was putting it together. He had that five-assist game, a nice little stretch going there where he had uh, was uh, 12 points in nine games and then kind of uh, cooled off again. He's now three straight games without a point. Uh, you know, you still look at the, the shooting percentage. You say that's got to come up, right? He's still – I mean, he's just, he isn't shooting quite as much as he has in the past, though. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to come up. He's going to score more goals. The assists have been there, but – 
you're not going to get that same Ryan Getzlaff that you're looking for. That 70-point Ryan Getzlaff uh, is not there this year. And when you look at the you know the decline that he's starting to experience, you wonder if uh, if he's turning a sort of a corner in his career, uh, not for the better. And then a guy in Boston, uh, the Bruins paid a heavy price to acquire Louis Erickson, uh, giving up Tyler Sagan. We don't need to tell any of our listeners how how badly that trade has looked so far, uh, but uh, this guy was a responsible two-way forward that was putting up 70 points a year in uh, Dallas, and that's the guy that Boston thought they were getting. He has been very uh, much an underwhelming, underwhelming underachiever in his first two years in Beantown, but he's back up to that pace of a 70-point guy, Andrew, and I wonder if now we're starting to finally see the full value that Louis Erickson can bring to the table and kind of balance that trade a little more than it was uh, so lopsided for the first couple of years anyway. Yeah, Dallas really knew... The Stars really knew what they were doing when they sold on Louis Erickson, uh, selling him at the right time. They saw the decline over the, the lockout shortened season. They said, we're going to take advantage. We're going to get Tyler Sagan. That's exactly what they did. Uh, they certainly haven't looked back from that. Uh, it's sort of a surprise to see what, what Erickson is doing uh, so far. You know, He's already coming up on the, you know, the 37 points that he put up in his first year with Boston. Uh, in no time at all, in a few weeks, he's going to be coming up on last year's point total. Uh, you know, almost a, a point per game. Uh, he looks like the same guy again. Uh, what can I say? Uh, you don't really People... see you don't really see a, a the kind of bounce back that he's had after you know a guy falls into mediocrity. And and I don't know what the difference has been for him. Uh, you know, statistically, you look at it. You know, maybe he's getting a little bit lucky on the shooting percentage. Uh, but you know, he's he's playing about the same time that he plays a little bit more than he has the last couple of years in Boston. But yeah, there, there's, it's just been a, another, a little extra pep in his step there. And it's a real bonanza for the Bruins, a team that I didn't think was going to compete for the top uh, rungs in the Atlantic Division, but certainly they're in the race, and, and Erickson's a big part of that. A team at the other end of the division uh, is looking to rebuild in a step-by-step manner. They've, I like really what the Buffalo Sabres have started to do in get, getting that rebuild underway with Jack Eichel, but there's a guy on the blue line who's starting to get some accolades, and that's Rasmus Ristolainen. Uh, emerging as the key offensive-minded defenseman that every single team needs to have. And this guy has put up some big individual game uh, efforts uh, for those in Daily Fantasy who picked him up. He's got a couple of three-point efforts already on his on his uh, slate, and he's on pace for a 50-point season, which is remarkable for a third-year pro uh, who's also tightened up his play in the defensive end. Uh, this guy's looking like full value as a real centerpiece in Buffalo for a long time. And uh, I think the Sabre fans are delighted with his progress, just as they are with what we've seen from Jack Eichel. But nobody saw Rasmus Ristolainen as a 50-point defenseman, and I consider him one of the true studs in the first half among the Blue Liners. I'm actually uh, I'm going to pour a little bit of water on this fire here because Ristolainen, don't get me wrong, I think he's superbly talented. He had a really nice run. Uh, and, you know, we didn't expect it, the breakout to happen this year. And my opinion is that it's only half happened. He had that nice run, sure, but you look at last seven games. Uh, first of all, he hasn't scored a goal since that hat trick on December 10th, which was almost a month ago. Last seven games, two assists, minus six rating. So still playing the big minutes, but you were seeing, you know, a decline, a leveling off, uh, which you would expect from a 20-year-old defenseman. It's really hard in this league, especially if you're not in the, you know, in the kind of favorable situation of a, a John Klingberg. Uh, you know, playing with uh, Sagan and Ben to be able to put up those big point totals. Uh, Ristolainen's got to do it himself, and 
you know, to a great degree until, you know, some of these other Sabres come into their own. And it's it's limiting him a little bit. I don't think he's going to hit 50 points this year. Well, uh, we'll wait and see how that turns out. But a guy who maybe was expected to approach the 50-point mark is falling well short in Calgary, and that's Dougie Hamilton. When he was traded to the defense-rich Calgary uh, lineup, I thought this is going to be an interesting fit to see where he turns up on the depth chart. If he becomes that top-pairing defenseman, yeah, I can see him getting 50 points. But if he doesn't crack it, he could su- his point totals could suffer. Any- anybody that bought high on him at the beginning of the season is going to pay for it. And the latter has turned out to be true. He's totaled only 13 points in his first 36 games on the year. But the Flames are hoping that the eight points that he uh, picked up in a 12-game stretch are more indicative of what's to come in terms of his recent level of performance. He's not getting top-line minutes yet and probably won't behind uh, Brody and, and Giordano. But he should fit in as a second-pairing guy, and he's got the booming shot and offensive upside that should produce uh, on the second unit on the power play there. You know, I didn't get the the trade of Hamilton to Calgary. They had too much on the blue line already. Like, you're not going to get the kind of value out of him if you're not going to use him in that top four, even top two role. Uh, and, and and that's what's been what's happened. The, the Flames have a, a crowd on the blue line, and no one has really lived up to, to what we would expect from them, aside from Brody, who's been uh, warmed, warming up nicely since a, an injury slowed start. But, uh, you know, it's a, we, we all jumped on the Bruins for making that trade, and, and maybe we shouldn't have jumped on them for that, but more for sending uh, Hamilton into such a bad situation in Calgary. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised Calgary took him on, too, to be honest with you, because, like I said, the, and I know you agree, they were already rich on the blue line and probably didn't need another piece like that. So uh, it's just a, a case of having too many talent, too many of the similar talents and uh, you probably are comfortable with what you already have in place there. So yeah, if if anything, you know, uh, the Bruins had Nicholas Svedberg, uh, a very respectable backup goalie last year, who was stuck behind Tuukka Rask. You know, he ended up signing a deal to go off to the KHL. He'd be better served uh, there in Calgary, where they could use another uh, interesting body in the goaltending mix. No question. Although you got to like what Kerry Ramos done in the last little while, kind of plugging the gap. But I don't think he's a long-term solution either. And a guy who is uh, maybe not long for Carolina is the next guy I want to bring up, and that's Eric Stahl, uh, Andrew. This guy is perennially uh, scoring leader for the, the Hurricanes, but uh, looks to me like uh, the sand is rapidly running out of the hourglass in terms of his tenure in, in Calgary. A lot of rumors have already started with the, the trade deadline about seven or eight weeks away that he's going to be leaving. Yeah, he's taking the, the expiring contract, a uh, cap hit of $8.25 million per year with him. I don't think uh, he fits into what uh, Carol, Carolina needs to do in the next little while, and that's uh, address a rebuild situation of their own. And they got to see what they can reap for this guy, but uh, his scoring is nowhere near what it was in the past. Yeah, what is this? Uh, I thought 30 was the age of death for NFL running backs, not <laughs> NHL centers. What's up with that? Particularly like, these elite. guys uh, seem to be having their careers just come crashing down at age 30, 31. Uh, you know, they, they peak in their mid-20s, and then by the end, of, you know, it's, it's, it's really, it is like they're NFL running backs. It's wild. It's crazy. Maybe it is. I, I, had, I hinted before, we got a, more of a speed game than ever, and maybe a guy with the size uh, that Eric Stahl has, he's not the fastest guy uh, uh, at uh, that size that are in the league, and maybe the game is passing him by a little bit. Maybe that's one thing that... Uh, Could be that, yeah. 
And and but notwithstanding that fact, I'm hearing rumors already that teams like Montreal and Minnesota are kicking tires there, and uh, both those teams could certainly use some help down the middle. So it'll be interesting to see if there's a short-term fit and maybe even a longer one in either one of those cities or wherever he winds up. But I think uh, his days as a Carolina Hurricane are certainly winding down. Next guy I want to bring up, Nathan McKinnon. We've seen this guy uh, in three years go from a fabulous rookie season to a nondescript sophomore year. And I know you have strong feelings about the sophomore jinx. Maybe you can address that relative to him. But now in year three, we're starting to see Nathan McKinnon be that same guy that he was in his first year. Yeah, that, that sophomore jinx exists. Look at it. Just look at it. <laughs> he's uh, only four points short of the 38 that he put up last year in McKinnon. Uh, he's still not quite where we would like to, to see him. You know, this We are talking about a guy who was the number one overall pick just uh, two drafts ago or three drafts ago now, man, time flies. But, uh, yeah, I would like to see McKinnon really raise his game to that superstar level and really carry the avalanche uh, to a greater degree than he has so far. Uh, he is their first-line center. He is their leading scorer, I believe. But uh, I want to see still a little bit more from Nathan McKinnon. I want to see truly elite play. And uh, the well, same goes for Matthew Shane. Absolutely. And another guy, uh, Edmonton was hoping to see some elite play from this blue liner, uh, Jace, uh, Justin Schultz, Andrew, when uh, this guy was a free agent, he was undrafted a couple of years ago, and a number of teams roll out the red carpet to try and sway him to come in and be that offensive-minded defenseman that every team, I keep saying it, every team looks for them, and no team seems to have enough of them. But his stock has fallen dramatically this year, and he's only got a handful of points and a terrible plus-minus for the, the 24, 25 games that he's played so far and he's fallen right down the Oilers' depth chart behind younger prospects that have, they've uh, put into the breach this year. I think the, that he's running out of time in, in Edmonton, and uh, he may be hard-pressed to find work in the NHL unless he finds a way to turn his game around. Very disappointed with this guy's profile uh, at this stage when he had significant upside earlier on. Yeah, uh, to correct you just a little bit, uh, Schultz was actually uh, taken in the second round by the Ducks before he went to college. And then after college, he ended up signing with Edmonton, which, uh, speaking of things that we regret, <laughs> Justin Schultz will uh, have his grandson on his knee one day and be like, I should not have signed in Edmonton. I could have been in the Hall of Fame. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's just like the guys who get the first uh, 600th NHL goal, bouncing it off a guy's ankle and saying, Again, I will say to his kid, uh, grandchildren, I deked four guys on the way into the net. Oh, so yeah. the story can change over time. But yeah, uh, Schultz definitely needing a, a change of scenery. Still only 25 years old. Still just amazing upside. I don't think any anyone who uh, was watching the AHL in that lockout-shortened uh, first half of, of what would have been the season uh, when Schultz put up 48 points in 34 games for AHL Oklahoma City during the lockout. That's insane. That is just insane. And nobody, nobody does that. Uh, you really, you know, there's not a single defenseman in the league that I can think of who put up points like that in the AHL. Uh, so you got to think that there's uh, there's another gear for Justin Schultz uh, in another city. Well, it's funny you mention that because the guy that you made me think of uh, right here in Toronto at the Marlies, T.J. Brennan, 
He seems to be that top-scoring defenseman at the AHL level, leading uh, second-leading scorer on the Marlies this year, and he's a guy that's always up there in the AHL scoring, but when he comes to the NHL, just can't deliver the goods. Maybe uh, these two are uh, an inter- uh, are paired in that he's way. He's in a pod, perhaps. Uh, yeah, exactly. Brennan, Brennan's in a, a long-time favorite of mine as I, I look at you know, mine the AHL scoring leaders for fantasy talent. <laughs> And you look at the points he puts up, uh, yeah, 72 points two years ago in the AHL with 25 goals. It's a defenseman. He put up 115 penalty minutes that season, too. If you had him in your fantasy AHL league, you were killing it. <laughs> I wish we had one going because we would clean up because you and I share that passion to look at the AHL stuff just as much as the NHL. And that's the beauty of uh, crunching numbers when you're poolies like us. Um, let's go down the list to uh, Jeff Petrie in Montreal. This guy, I didn't like the signing, first of all. He signed a multi-million dollar, big dollar contract with the Habs. Certainly nowhere near producing to the level that, that would make me spend the kind of money as, a, as his GM. Uh, they, they were targeting this guy to be a successor to an Andre, Andre Markov, who I have cited as a player in decline, Andrew. And, uh, and they're hoping that Petrie can be a second kind of offensive contributor from the blue line but he's really fallen short of those expectations. And that contract that he signed looks to me like a huge albatross that the Canadians will have to deal with for a long time. Yeah, that's something I remember we talked about uh, in our preseason coverage. Uh, This, I mean, incomprehensible six-year, $33 million contract extension that Petrie signed after coming to Montreal in in a trade last season. I mean, what did they think that they were getting for $5.5 million a year that they that they signed this guy to that kind of contract it it's shocking to me frankly I don't I didn't uh, see it then I certainly don't see it now What uh, isn't shocking is his numbers uh they're exactly what I would expect Jeff Petrie to be putting up in Montreal his plus minus is normalized because he's not in Edmonton and he still can't score and there it is that's there's their Jeff Petrie's stats exactly as anyone could have predicted that they would be except for apparently the Montreal Canadiens front office and uh, what about people that bought high on a guy like a Nick Letty? Last year, he had an outstanding campaign and was key to the success that the Islanders enjoyed in a wonderful season, producing career-best numbers across the board. But this year, he's really regressed beyond his career norms, uh, below his career norms, I should say, with a uh, minus figure, uh, one goal, I think, on his ledger, and a handful of assists, nowhere near the level of contribution that we saw for him last year. And anybody that bought high on him is certainly regretting that. But do you see any kind of a return to form for this guy? Or what do we expect the rest of the way? It's been a little bit of a a team-wide issue for the Islanders. Uh, No one is is quite doing what you would hope so. You even look at John Tavares sitting on 29 points in 37 games. You say, that's not what I'm looking for from John Tavares. I'm looking for him to approach 80 points this year. He's he's not going to come close at this rate. Uh, And, you know, Letty's just uh, one, one guy in that group. Uh, that is really disappointed. Uh, and you look at you know a guy like Johnny Boychuk, uh, who had a, a very surprising offensive breakthrough last year for the Islanders. He's regressed. Uh, it's just been a team-wide regression for the Islanders. I think they needed a, a shake-up. Well, and a guy who needs a head shake or something is Jake Voracek over in Philadelphia, close to where you live, uh, as I understand, uh, Andrew. And uh, this guy hit the pay window hard in the offseason. And I t- take a a very dim view of players who 
return so poorly in the first year of a multi-year deal. We, I've seen it too often over the years where a guy gets seems to be very satisfied that he's lining his pockets with all these dollars, and I, I tend to stay away from these guys at draft time, and this is a guy that I'm glad I steered clear of because he's way underperformed. I certainly don't think he can keep down to this level uh, throughout this season, but I don't think he's going to come back to what we've seen in the last couple of years out of him. Ah, uh, score a check. Uh, you know, <laughs> at least uh, we can say, we can look at the uh, the old game log and say, well, he's got 10 points in his last nine games. That's pretty good. Uh, he's starting to look a little bit more uh, score check-like, which is good, to, you know, great for news for his fantasy owners who have been uh, about as embattled as you can be. You get stuck with a guy like this that's underperforming drastically. You can't cut him. I mean, how can you cut him, right? Because you know that as soon as he, you cut him, how many people do you think cut Voracek, uh this you know these la- this last nine games in which he has the ten points start on December 11th? How many people do you think cut him after December 10th when he went scoreless for the fifth time in six games, uh, and then was sitting on uh, 15 points in 28 games on the season? Uh, and then look what happens. I think uh, a little too much talent here to hold down. He's still playing next to Claude Giroux, uh, and with Wayne Simmons at the, at the moment, I think. Uh, Voracek will score at uh, the expected rate at the end of the year. I don't know if he's. I don't think he's going to make up for lost time, but uh, I think he's going to be normal Voracek going forward. He's going to end up uh, clearing 60 points. And and you can put the next guy in the same uh, boat. Uh, perhaps the face of the league for many many years since he joined the NHL. Sidney Crosby has come in for some heavy criticism. Who? For the never fa- heard of him. Sid the kid, one of the <laughs> perennial top scorers in the NHL. And if he wasn't drafted in the top five of your league, then the people in your leagues just didn't know what they were talking about. And he, he's a guy like Voracek, though, who started off very, very slowly. In fact, so slowly that he's not even going to be in the All-Star game, which is a, a shocker to me when you leave out, as I said, the face of the franchise, of the NHL franchise, I'm saying, at this stage in his career. Uh, but look at what he's done. Similar to Voracek, he's been a point-a-game guy in his last 10 games, and he's starting to to wheel like the old Sidney Crosby that we're used to seeing. I think big things are ahead for him, and he's going to rally the Pittsburgh Penguins into a playoff spot before things are, are done, in my opinion. There's lots of miles for Sid the Kid to go, and uh, I think he's been uh, unfairly maligned for his underperformance, and we're starting to see him get his sea legs for real right now. Yeah, he was... Uh... Boy, was he struggling. Boy, was he ever struggling. I guess I think, you know, you look expectations were so high, sky high, when the when the Penguins brought in Phil Kessel and they said Crosby and Kessel are just going to score a million goals together. And it's a lot of pressure. And, I, you know, Crosby has not necessarily always been the best guy under pressure. Uh, he has, uh, don't get me wrong, uh, I'm going to get uh, hate mail from Pittsburgh fans now. <laughs> he scored, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of goals. He scored a good amount of game-winning goals, but, you know, Look down, look down the the back of his baseball card or hockey card, as the case may be. Uh, you know, you get some of the premier players in the league; they'll score ten game-winning goals in a year. Sidney Crosby's career high in game-winning goals is six in a year that he scored fifty-one goals. How does that happen? That's all, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another guy who was a teammate of uh, Crosby at Team Canada's recent. Uh, 
Olympic triumph was Alex Pietrangelo. This guy's stock has fallen in St. Louis big time, Andrew. Uh, uh, the emergence of Colton Pareko has had a lot to do with it, as well as the continued development of Cap Kevin Shattenkirk, who's their number one defenseman out there. Pietrangelo's moved into more of a shutdown pairing alongside of uh, Jay Bomeister, and it looks like his point totals are going to suffer because of that, as well as some lost time on the power play. So anybody that was ticketing him as a 45 to 50 point uh, scorer is going to be disappointed. But he's still a quality player. I just don't uh, don't see him with the offensive upside that might might have been assigned to him early in the season. Yeah, uh, Johnson has been a, a a tough disappointment for me. Uh, Pietrangelo. I, I, Pietrangelo. Oh, we're talking about Pierre. Uh, I thought we were talking about Tyler Johnson. No, my brain is broken. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> when we, when we go to Johnson, I want to switch to the end of end of the thing where I talk. You about... You can skip Johnson. It's all right. No, I want to say. Uh, we want to talk about the noise in Tampa. That's okay, the, sure, sure. That, that'd be a nice segment. So I'll go with that next. So to finish my thought on Pietrangelo, I'll say, you know, this guy is a guy that uh, maybe a lot of people are expecting big, big offensive totals, but the emergence of Pareko and Shattenkirk have pushed him down the depth chart, and he's more of a second-pairing guy, and his point total will reflect that going forward. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like Pietrangelo is playing uh, big minutes still. Uh, you know, he's still averaging 26 and a half minutes a game. It's actually more than last year. Uh, yeah. Career career high, even. Uh, he's just not scoring. And plus minus after dipping from a plus 20 to minus 2 last year. Now even worse this year at minus 8. Although, uh, going back to the little discussion I was having at dinner last night, plus minus is just an, an awful stat, isn't it? It is. I never liked it. It is a useless stat. Uh, goal, goal gives up a soft goal. Minus 1 for you, buddy. <laughs> How about uh, yeah. jumping off the bench? Uh, when the goal is scored or jumping on, on yeah. the bench to avoid the minus. That's Your been done a lot, too. Teammate gets stripped. Uh, breakaway goal. Minus Get one off. for you. <laughs> uh, I, I just don't I don't understand it. Uh, it's It just seems just the goal that rewards or us the goal. A stat that rewards being in the right place at the right time. Very bizarre. Um, but let's uh, skip past that to another place that's very bizarre. Uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, you want to talk about your stud and dud, uh, your your dud for the Bolts was Tyler Johnson, uh, last year's stunning breakout, seventy plus points, seventy two points, twenty nine goals, plus thirty three rating. I mean, if you had him on your fantasy team, you were cruising to the title uh, because you got him for for practically nothing. I don't, you know, he, he did have fifty points the year before, but he wasn't heavily drafted last year, certainly. Exactly. Uh, but this year, different story. The uh, the triplets line Johnson uh, Andre Palat and uh, Kucherov Nikita Kucherov of course um, sitting here staring at it and my brain is just uh, blanking. <laughs> hey, we're here to help each other, man. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, they they've had a, a tough year. Uh, not as much chemistry together. Palat's missed time to injury. Johnson's missed time to injury. Kucherov hasn't looked like the same explosive scorer that he was. Last season, although he's been picking it up lately, uh, over the last uh, 14 games, 17 points for Kucherov, so he's been coming along. Johnson just back from injury. I think uh, I think he will get back to that very productive level, though. Uh, I've always liked him. I really liked him coming out of college. Uh, he's a, an interesting player. Well, and, and the whole Tampa situation is an interesting one, Andrew. Let's stick with this for a minute or two, because in the last year, we've seen some uh, a lot of noise. In the, between the front office and the players, there's been three separate issues, not nothing to do with Tyler Johnson, really, 
but three other players on their roster, one of whom is not there anymore, another one who's toiling in the American Hockey League, and another guy who may be leaving at the end of the year. Let's deal with them in order. Marty St. Louis last year was... Uh, a ranger. Hoping to, oh, a ranger. But he was coming off a year where he was traded uh, from Tampa to New York. And, and the reason why he was traded was because of some controversy in the front office there, okay? He didn't see eye-to-eye eye with Steve Eiserman once he was snubbed with the whole Team Canada snafu, if you'll recall. He was left off the original roster, and Eiserman was the GM of that team. And then only some injury trouble to the roster got St. Louis into the club, and he made it to the Olympic gold medal winning roster for Team Canada. But right after that, it seemed like they had a parting of the ways, and he was shipped to the Rangers, as you indicated. That was the beginning of what we we're the current situation where we find ourselves in. We've seen all year long how Steven Stamkos uh, possibly feuding even with uh, Coach Cooper, even dating back to last year's playoff run and early this season when he has been uh, not really the top offensive threat in terms of regular playing ice, uh, time in uh, key situations and even relegated to wing position uh, for long stretches when he, he's, he wants to play center. He's played center all his career. He's the signature player in Tampa and he doesn't feel he's being treated like it by Cooper. And then he sees Cooper get rewarded to a multi-year deal, Andrew, and, and, and he's still without an extension. And now, last week, we see Jonathan Drouin, another top prospect, who's in Cooper's doghouse to the point where he says he can't put him anywhere in the lineup. He's not performing. And away he goes to the American Hockey League with much fanfare. So I, I'm asking you, Andrew, what do you think is going on in Tampa? I think it's just a whole mess, big mess right there that started a year and a half ago with the Marty St. Louis caper and maybe has reached a crescendo with the Stancos and Drouin situations. I don't, I don't know if I would tie St. Louis together with, with the current situation. I mean, after all, the Lightning did go to the Stanley Cup Finals last year completely without him, right? But I think that that has a lot to do with it. Uh, some teams, um, I mean, I think this is something we talked about in another episode, uh, and that some teams just, they tend to have those those Stanley Cup hangovers. And even Chicago hasn't been, cool, you know, until more recently, quite the same team that they were uh, last year. Uh, you know, more recently they've been hot. They've won five in a row now. They're eight of their last ten. But they were a little bit uh, underwhelming early on, you know. And uh, and these Lightning, this Lightning team is full of young guys who played a lot of games last year, more games than, than they were used to playing in their, you know, junior careers in the AHL. Uh, and they you know, went through this long playoff run. And I think there's a, a big-time hangover here. And it comes at the same time that they have uh, a certain Steven Stamkos uh, kind of uh, just, just not not being the same guy. Even last year, uh, I think since he had that leg injury, uh, that broken leg that he had, uh, he has not, he's come back and he hasn't been the same player that he was you know, in, in his early 20s uh, when he started his NHL career. I'm going to still beat the drum that I started with the first episode that we ever had, that he's leaving and he's coming to Toronto. I do think he's leaving. Uh, I, when you look I, at the I Lightning's won't... cap situation, he's yeah. going to have to leave. Yeah, and I think Toronto's the landing spot, and I'll stick with it, and I'll say that we broke the story here. So good for us. <laughs> well done. <laughs> but, uh, Great sticking, job, team. Sticking with the Florida theme, the other team that we want to talk about to close this segment of the show, in my opinion, it has to be the the Florida Panthers, Andrew. This is a team, the hottest team in the NHL, riding a 10-game win streak, and uh, their leading scorer is 43 years old. Their top goalie is a guy that's 
that's over 30. So a nod to the older uh, echelon of the NHL. Two quality players in Yarmir Yager and Roberto Luongo, and they also have Brian Campbell, a third guy who's over 30. These guys are the team leaders, but they're surrounded by a lot of young guns who are delivering the goods across the board. And the architect of all of it is Dale Talon, and I think this is a guy who deserves to take a real bow as I think the odds-on favorite to be an NHL executive of the year this season. You know, what's wild is that Yager is going to turn 44 in five weeks. 44? Yeah. 29 points in 37 games, though. Your leading point getter for these Florida Panthers, who, uh, as you mentioned in your column today, the lowest goals against average in the NHL belongs to the Florida Panthers of all teams. It is, uh, it's, it's surprising. <laughs> and and they're first in the Atlantic Division and, and full value for it. This is a team that is uh, has developed a real good core of uh, of uh, young players. They've drafted well, and now Huberdos, the Barkovs, they're coming through and, and leading this team's offense such as it is. And they've also developed some prospects on the blue line, including the defending Calder Trophy winner, Aaron Ekblad. So uh, I mean what I say when I, when I uh, laud uh, Dale Talon for his efforts at the draft table, as well as the trades and the free agents that he's picked up, full marks to him. And uh, that's, uh, that takes us to the stud and dud, uh, stud and rant of the week. The stud of the week uh, will start off, Andrew, in my opinion, it has to be Braden Holtby, uh, this year's version of uh, Carey Price, perhaps. Uh, he's putting up Price-like numbers across the board, leading the league in wins, among the leaders in goals against, and he's backstopping one of the top teams in the whole NHL, uh, I think he's going to hit it big at the at the awards show at the end of the year, and uh, maybe he tops it off with a Stanley Cup ring. That's just how good the Caps have played and how central he's been to their success. Yeah, well, you won't find uh, anyone to knock Braden Holtby here. Uh, not only have I uh, been a, an enthusiastic Holtby owner for years uh, in my Dynasty League, but I've also had the displeasure, well, we'll call it the pleasure, of watching him put up incredible, unbelievable goaltending performances against the Rangers in the playoffs. Uh, the Rangers managed, they, you know, they beat them in the playoffs, I think, three times now. But it, it's not Holpe that they beat. It's the Capitals. It's Ovechkin. Uh, because Holpe was on another level in those pl- in, in each of those playoff series. He is he really steps up his game for, for the big game. And even in the little game, he is just a, a great goalie. Uh, 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 completely the best goalie in the year, as far best goalie in the league, as far as I'm concerned. Look, he leaves me speechless. And and you have to wonder, Andrew. I mean, we saw Carey Price collect four NHL awards. I wonder how much of that had to do with the fact that they did it in Montreal. It's going to be a telling thing this year to see uh, Holtby put up similar numbers to what uh, if he continues along this pace to what what uh, Carey Price did last year. And see if uh, we're talking about apples to apples here in terms of the uh, the accolades that should come his way. I'll be a very curious uh, listener at the award ceremony for sure. Uh, the rant of the week, another ceremony that I uh, ceremonial week is coming up. It's the All Star Game, and the voting is, has just completed. And the NHL has got to be very concerned that one John Scott, yes, that John Scott is a team captain of the Pacific Division of the NHL's three-on-three team. Is This is a horrible joke to me, Andrew. And people are trying to say, oh, well, the fans have spoken, and this is what they want. 
this is a black eye on the NHL, and, and it's happening at one of their showcase events. I think they got to find a way to stop this from happening in this instance, but for sure, never again. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Come on. It's amazing. John Scott is an all-star. The guy has been put on waivers three times this year. He's an all-star. He may and have been so saved. A, he may have been saved a fourth trip to the waivers right now. We're going to get, been... get to watch him uh, race up the ice in three-on-three. Three. He, he <sighs> might have a heart attack right there. It's going to be uh, amazing to watch. Andrew, I can't stomach that. I, that's, this, I, is one... this is your Canadian purist, uh, Paul, talking. <laughs> this is one reason why I can't. I found the NHL All-Star Game completely unwatchable in the last few years, but this one may take the cake. If I have to watch this guy trudge up and down the ice, uh, you know, I think I would race him for money, Andrew. I'm older than him, <laughs> and, and I'm not a fighter, but I'd take my chances racing against him. And you know what? Yeah, how's your I skating? Might even, I might, might even just wear one skate. Oh, wow. Uh, my skate is my skating is pretty good. Yeah, I believe it. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I, I would beat John Scott in a skating race, but yeah, I could see you doing it. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to set that up as a match race at you the end. You seem of the nimble, but he he, wants, <laughs> he may want to take a, a swing at me if I do lap him or something like that. Eh? <laughs> uh, you know, all those fighters are uh, very respectful. You know, the, the fighting. You know, it's interesting. Uh, and and I read. Uh, Pierre Lebrun uh, for ESPN wrote a, an article about John Scott uh, today, uh, and he said that it's nice to have that that Scott himself said that you know like that the recognition that he's getting here, even though it is a you know kind of a joke, it's it's also a recognition of you know all the fighters over the history of the game who have been important parts of their teams you know such as it is it is I know a lot of people are against fighting in hockey I am too I don't I don't like the enforcer I'm glad that that tradition is dying out but you know these guys did give their uh, their hearts their souls and especially their bodies uh, to, uh, to their teams uh, just just fighting in, you know guys that they had no quarrel with. You know, you know, for a half second there, you had me thinking I should recant some of what I said, and maybe this is a pick as a nod to the dying breed of of uh, sluggers that uh, fill out. I the think it is, line. and uh, I'm I'm not buying it. I, I said <laughs> half a second. In the next half second, I I, I had uh, you there. Uh, I saw the look uh, on your face. For those of you, I didn't. Uh, I didn't even need a standing eight count. No, uh, no, face. not even. Uh, <laughs> it softened. It was like that moment at the end of a movie, uh, you know, where, where I love the wrong villain coms. almost becomes, <laughs> you know, uh, a good guy. And then, no, no, then he <laughs> plunges the knife in. <laughs> I love the rom-coms as much as the next girl, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Andrew, why don't you take a minute now to remind our listeners where they can listen to this podcast and others with a free trial. Absolutely. Uh, Check out rotowire.com slash pod. Get your fantasy fix. NHL, of course. NFL, no doubt. NBA, baseball, college sports. You like esports. You like NASCAR, golf. We got, we got something for everyone. Rotowire.com slash pod. Check out Rotowire's podcasts on a wide variety of sports. A lot of them coming out uh, multiple times a week, not like uh, lazy bastards like us. And uh, <laughs> read our articles, play our player notes, second to none, thanks to yours truly. <laughs> Rotowire.com slash pod. Back to you, Paul. 
All right. Well, that's a wrap for another episode, our first of 2016. We hope it's a great year for this show and for all our listeners. Please tune in next time and keep an eye out for us, RotoWire's Hockey Podcast for Andrew Ferrantino and Paul Bruno, thanking you for giving us a listen and inviting you to come back and catch the next episode of our show next week. So long, everybody. So you own your own business. Got small ambitions for this business? Of course you don't. Got medium ambitions for this business? Of course you don't. Who has medium ambitions? You got big ambitions. If you're a growing business with big ambitions, you want to grow with Granger. Granger has the products, the services, and more importantly, the commitment you need. Total commitment. If you're a growing business, Granger's got your back. Call clickgranger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.